So remember last week we talked about we're going to have a new type of culture uh, at New Life in 2021, and we're not going to say how was the worship, we're going to ask how was your worship. And remember we said that, that the, the, the word we looked at, brak, means to kneel with your eyes transfixed on the king. So next question, are your eyes transfixed on the king? And we're going we're gonna, to, from time to time, put this in the lyrics of the songs because we want to remind you that it's personal. Worship of the king is personal, but it was never intended to be private. Um, we are commanded in Scripture to get together regularly to worship the king. And so my question to you today was, during that music set that we just had, how was your worship? Were your eyes transfixed on the king? And if not, don't blame anybody who's up here on stage. You need to look in a mirror. We're starting a new series today, and we're going to be talking about habits, little bitty things that if you put them into place can transform your life. A friend of mine from back in college, she posted this on her um, on Facebook the other day, and it really, it's just been percolating in my mind, and this is kind of where I started this whole sermon from, so here it is. She said, the general principle of success is you enter new things exactly the same way you left old things. And then she said this, if you storm out of your former season of life in a swirl of anger and resentment, I love what she says here, clutching your victim trophy tight to your chest, that's exactly how you'll enter the new season. So I want you to apply this to your job. If you storm out of a job holding on to your victim trophy, you're going to storm right into the new job holding on to your victim trophy. You are right there with you, right? You may leave one place, but you're taking you with you to the next place. If you storm out of a relationship with your victim trophy, you're going to storm into the next relationship with your victim trophy. If you storm out of a church holding on to your victim trophy, you're going to storm into your new church if you even go to a new church with your victim trophy. If you storm out of worship with your victim trophy, I got nothing out of that. You're going to storm into the next season of your life, the next seven days of your life, exactly like you went out of that one. However, she said this, if you leave the old in the power of God's grace, and I love this, she says, blessing people and throwing kindness as you do. I leave a relationship, I leave a church, I leave a job. I leave worship, throwing kindness as you do. She says this, that will be what you bring to the new. So here's my point. Leave 2020 well, although this feels like December 40th, 2020, right? Because it just carried over. Yeah, leave it well. The reason we finished last week, I intentionally chose to finish the Come to Worship series where we were going to bow down and be on our knees because I wanted to start 2021 on our knees in worship of God. Jesus condemned the religious leaders in his day. He said, my father's house should be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a robber's den. And a robber's den is a place where robbers feel welcome. He said, no, this should be a place of prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. And so I wanted to start that way last week. Two weeks ago, we talked about, and ironically, ironically, two weeks ago, and, and I don't know what the reason is, but that was one of our least viewed services of the entire year, the Sunday after Christmas. And we talked about what it meant to be under the, the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And if you have no peace, it's because you're far away from the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And my memory verse is this, Isaiah 26, 3. Isaiah is talking to God and he says, you will keep in perfect peace, perfect peace, 
all who trust you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. If you do not have peace in 2021, it's because your eyes are fixed, not on the king. They're not transfixed on the king. They're fixed on your circumstances, and they don't have to be. All you have to do is read through the scripture, and you'll see that God is always in control. God is always at work. There's always something he sees that you do not see. So if you want to succeed in anything in life, you have to remember this. Pay attention to how you leave old things because you're going to start the new things the same way. So as we enter 2021, here's my message to you today. Take this to heart. The amount of biblical wisdom you have right now, today, is in direct proportion to the amount of time you've spent in God's presence, that's worship, in God's word, the Bible, and with God's people, that's the church. The amount of biblical wisdom you have one year from today, if God allows you to live that long, the amount of biblical wisdom you have in 2022 will be in direct proportion to the amount of time you spend in God's presence, in God's word, and with God's people. You will never, I want you to say the word never, you will never find biblical wisdom apart from God's word, God's worship, God's presence, and God's people. Last week, I interviewed Caleb, and um, I got to thinking about how much practice time it takes to be a good musician. We had a little conversation about that a couple weeks ago. I saw in a devotional something about this, and so I Googled, how much should you practice your instrument? And, and every article I came across said it depends on, was it depend on whether you're a professional, whether you're a wannabe professional, or you just are a casual hobby person with music. And so they said this, the pros and wannabe pros spend three to six hours every day practicing and even more up to eight to 12 hours a day if they're about to go into the studio to record or if they have a major um, uh, show coming up, they'll go do it even more. So if, you, if you're practicing an instrument eight to 12 hours a day, that's probably your job. For the casual person, they said though this, 30 to 60 minutes Every day would be plenty to produce enough improvement to keep you interested and keep music fun without risking overdoing it. And then I came across this article. I've heard this guy speak. His name's Malcolm Gladwell. He's got a book called Outliers. And here's what he said. It was in this article, quoted, The mastery of most fields generally, not every, but generally required 10,000 hours of practice. That means if you want to be an expert at something, you need to spend a minimum of 10,000 hours to become an expert. So if you're, if you're like these musicians and you spend four to six hours a day at something, it would take you a little over eight years to become expert level. If you drop that down to three hours a day, it's going to take you over 10 years to become an expert in, in a field. Now, how many of you have an extra three to six hours a day just lying around? I'm not even talking about how much you binge watch on TV, right? We could come up with a lot of hours. I'm just saying, anybody? No, nobody does that. Now, do not answer this out loud yet. I'm going to give you a chance in a minute, but I want you to think about this. How many of you could carve out an extra 30 minutes a day for something that would change your life? Don't answer. Don't raise your hand yet. Before you answer that, I want you to consider these statistics. Put the first one up there, would you, Krista? There are 1,440 minutes in a day. Now, those of you who are compulsive, you're going you're gonna to do the math. That's okay. I did the math. 30 minutes is roughly 2% of that 1,440 minutes every day. Now, let me ask you, is 2% a large amount of something or a small amount of something? Small. Okay, good. We're all on the same page. 
It's the small things that no one sees that produce the big results that everyone wants. I read about a marriage counselor. He told a couple if they want to have a good marriage, they need to pray together every day. And so then the question is, how long should you pray? Well, it depends on the day, right? On average, Janie and I spend three to five minutes at the end of a day praying together. Now, she has her time with the Lord. I have my time with the Lord separately. But there are days when we spend time walking around, circling something, praying 30 minutes, 60 minutes, depending on what's going on in our lives. It depends on the day. But I'll tell you, every day we spend at least three to five minutes praying together, and that is less than 1% of my day. Is that a big thing or a small thing? Small thing. Here's what the counselor said. If you're praying together, it means you're talking about things. And, and there's, this, there's this word that escapes most married people, and it involves when someone speaks and another person receives what was spoken and then speaks something back. What is that word? Communication. If you're communicating, listen to me, if you're communicating with your spouse, there is no problem you cannot overcome. When you are communicating, you connect. And when you pray together, you connect spiritually. And it's really, really hard to pray with someone that you hate. (laughs) You work through stuff, big stuff, small stuff. And when you do that over a period of time, do you know what you have? A strong marriage that has been tested, has passed the test. Now, the reason that this is a big deal to me is I I want you to understand this statement. Whether you want to admit it or not, 2020 was the great revealer. It revealed to us what we value most. So I want to know, where did you, you don't have to tell me this, but I want you to contemplate this. Where did you spend the majority of your time in 2020? I got a list here. Did you spend your time worrying? Then worrying is what is most important in your life. Did you spend your time watching TV? Then TV is most important. Did you spend your time stalking people on social media? I tend to do that. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. It's just I don't post a whole lot of stuff. I post some things about my family. I post things about the church. I don't ever post anything else because I don't want to be in drama because I don't care about the drama. Now, I love seeing pictures of your kids and those types of things, and I'll talk to your kids about what I've seen on Facebook, but Facebook is not the most important thing in my life. Did you spend much time worshiping? And, And even if you came every Sunday last year, You spent 52 hours worshiping. That's not a whole lot. Praying, (laughs) connecting with God's people. Here's how I know that where we spend our time is what you value most because there are 8,760 hours in a year. And wherever you invest your time is what you value because here's how I know. You can make more money, whether you believe it or not. You can make more money. You can make more friends but I've not met anyone on this planet who can make more time. Once it's spent, it's gone. So 2020 revealed to us what is most important in your life. And and what I want to look at for just a few minutes is where did the people in the Bible invest their time? Specifically, I want to look at David today, King David. Where he invested his time, I want you to, to look at Psalm 119, 16b. B just means the second half of the verse, and here's what it says. He says, I will not neglect your word. I will not what? Neglect your word. So I want you to get this percentage in your mind. What percentage of your time in 2020 did you spend in the word of God? And if I were to ask, I'm not going to have you do this, but if I were to ask how many of you neglected God's word in 2020, there should probably be a whole lot of hands raised in this room. 
Here's the second thing he says just a few verses later in Psalm 119, verse 24. Your statutes are my delight. They are my what? Counselors. If you neglected God's word, can you with, it, with a straight face say that God's word was your counselor? No. <clears throat> I've been in ministry now 30, I don't have to do the math, 38 years. Uh, and, and what I've heard over and over and over and over in, in the ministry is I think this would be a good idea. There are tons of good ideas out there. There are very few God ideas out there. And so as we're talking about 2021, I'm not interested in good ideas. I'm interested in God ideas. I'm not interested in just good habits. I'm interested in God habits that will change you 2021 and beyond. Many people talk about these good habits. We want to talk about God habits. We spent five weeks talking about the God habit of worship. And there are postures of worship. And if, if, you don't, if you don't bow before God, it means you probably haven't seen him. If you don't raise your hands to God, it means you probably don't understand him. If you don't do all of those different things in Scripture, you're, you're, you're disobeying the Scripture. It means there's something wrong with your heart, not with God's heart. Five weeks we spent on that. Today I want to talk to you about the God habit of reading your Bible. And I know some of you say this is bad, but, but here's what you need to understand. I didn't put this on. This is just another verse. 1 Timothy 4.8 says... Physical exercises of some benefit. They, they acknowledge the writer of Scripture, Paul, says it's of some benefit, but he says, uh, he says physical exercises of some benefit, but spiritual exercises a benefit now and forever. That's a God habit that's going to last you beyond this life. And I don't want you to just read your Bible for 2021, I want you to read it for the rest of your life. So if you were to set aside half an hour a day, 2% of your day, it, and if it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert, 30 minutes a day for 50 years for you to become an expert in the Bible. 50 years to get to that 10,000 hour level. And that's what I want you to, that's what I want you to experience because it's going to be not just good for now, it's going to be good for heaven as well. Because I, I don't know if you understand this. I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody's job, and I just looked at you, Neil, so I'm grateful. Lightfoot Carpet did this carpet, did all the flooring in this building. Woohoo! This carpet isn't going to heaven. I'm not saying quit your job and, you know, come read the Bible with me. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying you name a job. I'm, I double dog dare you, triple dog dare you to name a job outside of the church that's going to exist in heaven. We're going we're gonna to hang live chickens in heaven? No. <laughs> Dustin says, no, that's in hell, right? Yeah, I, I heard the tone of voice there, brother. I'm with you. If you'll spend the next 50 years of your life, 30 minutes a day, on God's Word. See, God's Word contains 66 books, 775,000 words, roughly, in English. It's big enough to challenge us on a daily basis. And just this morning, I read the story of feeding the 5,000. I've read it tons of times, and I learned something new this morning as I opened up God's Word, and He fed me, right? It's big enough that you can learn things the rest of your life, but it's small enough that if you'll take some chunks, you'll look more like Jesus in just a small amount of time. Now, I have a question for you. And, and I hope, hope what I'm about to show you will, will cement this in your mind. How many of you know how many minutes there are in a year? 
You'll know in just a second. Play it, Krista. 525,600 minutes 525,000 moments, oh dear 525,600 minutes How do you measure, measure a year? How do you measure, measure a year? How many minutes? 525,600 minutes, woo! 2% of that, 2% of 525,600 minutes would be 10,512 minutes or 175.2 hours. If you had spent 175.2 hours, 2% of your time in 2020, then maybe you could begin to make the argument that God's word was your counselor. If not, let's not play games. You're getting your counsel from somewhere else. So I want to look at Zechariah. If, uh, if you don't know where that is, the, the last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. Right before that, Zechariah. Um, we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. Zechariah was a Jew who, who was born and raised in Babylon. Why? Because God's people disobeyed so long that God said, he actually told them over and over through the prophets, you're going you're gonna to be destroyed and you're going to be carried away into a foreign land. This is what happens. So Zechariah um, is one of the people that God calls to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. So he's going he's gonna to go back with a couple other guys. We'll talk about them in a minute. Zechariah actually means Yahweh remembers. Yahweh remembers. Great name. So Zechariah returns with 50,000 other Israelites, and he returns with Haggai. Haggai's a prophet, and that book of the Bible is just before Zechariah, so the third to the last in the Old Testament. Um, he goes back with Zerubbabel, the governor, and, and I just tell you this all the time. These are great names. Boy names, who needs the, you, got, you got them right here. Zechariah, Haggai, Zerubbabel, great boy names. That's all you need. They were supposed to rebuild the temple. Now, here's the really interesting thing to me. 150 years before Cyrus ever was on the throne in Babylon, Isaiah says, you're going to go into captivity. You're going to be in captivity 70 years. Jeremiah comes right after him. He says, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. And then Isaiah says, a king named Cyrus, we call him Cyrus the Great, will rise up and he will allow the Jews to come back. Just blows my mind that the scripture knows these things ahead of time. It's because the author is God. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Can I tell you, in my experience, most servants of God are thoroughly ill-equipped. They are inequipped for life because they don't know the word of God. They're, they're biblically illiterate. It's like they don't even speak the language. Well, so they go back and they start building the temple. They, they lay the foundation by the end of the second year. But then they got depressed because it became hard, and so they stopped all building of the temple for 16 to 17 years. But what did Zechariah's name mean? Yahweh remembers. So first God raised up Haggai. Haggai is only two uh, chapters in the Bible. Four sermons, one sermon a month for four months, and then he's done. That's his whole, whole prophetic ministry. Four sermons uh, over a couple of months. And then in the middle of that, God raises up um, Zechariah, and he begins his ministry. His job was to encourage the people, say, remember your God, and finish building the temple. So five years later, the temple is built. Now, 
The words we're about to read were written 16 to 17 years after all construction on the temple stopped. So it'd be like if you were to to pour the foundation of your house, or let's say we were to pour the foundation of a new worship center out here, we put up the sign like a lot of churches do, future home of New Life's new worship center, and then 16 or 17 years later, all we have is the concrete. That's kind of embarrassing, right? It was very embarrassing for the children of God. So Zechariah's walking around. He's talking to an angel. We know that because we read this earlier in the chapter. And then look what he says. Then he, talking about the angel, said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is the governor. This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force, not by strength. I want you to say not by force. I want you to say not by strength. The angel is telling him, here's what God says. No one's going to get the credit for this except God. The way this temple is built, no one's going to be, no human will take credit for it. Then he says, but by my what? What kind of spirit is God's spirit? Holy spirit. God's going to do something that that only God can do. You can do self-help all day long and never get out of a rut, not accomplish much, but there is a power. We believe there's a power that raised Christ from the dead that's available to those who follow him, that brings about life change. God says, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's army. Years ago, well, I have a friend that has, a, has about a 10-acre lake, and it is stocked with fish, and you're guaranteed to catch fish. And when Caleb was little, I used to take him fishing out there. There's a couple of times my whole family went fishing out there. We just have a picnic, and we would fish. You're going to catch fish. Well, this good friend of mine, um, I would just call, and they would tell me, come on, you can, you can fish. Well, one day, we're in my white GMC stepside pickup, and I couldn't afford four-wheel drive, so it's two-wheel drive. It had rained for days ahead of this, but I needed to feel that tug on my fishing line. So I said, Caleb, let's go. And so we go. And I'm staying way far away from the lake because I have already been stuck at this guy's house twice. It was a joke to the family. Oh, Doug called. Is he stuck again? I mean, it was, it was a joke to them, not a joke to me. So I'm way far away from the lake, but there's this little flat-bottom boat that I want to get to. We have our own trolling motor. We have our own battery. We have snacks because you can't can't go fishing. He was probably eight years old. You can't go fishing with an eight-year-old without snacks. And so I want to get close enough to that that it doesn't take me eight days because the, the eight-year-old's not carrying the battery to the, to the flat bottom. Dad is, right? So I don't want, I don't want to get close enough. And so that, there's this little creek, and I know I'm going to have to get across this creek. So I'm hauling. You know, and Caleb's like, woo Dad, this is fun. And we go through the creek, and we get through the creek, and then you know what's going to happen. We start slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. And when we get to a stop, funk. We sank so badly that when we opened the doors, we were scraping mud. And I'm thinking, we ain't fishing today, buddy. And Caleb's like, this is fun. And I'm I'm just looking at him going, huh? So I call my buddy, knowing, knowing. He's, he's finished work. He's sitting up there. He's eating. He's having a great time. And, and I call him, and he goes, what? And I said, hey, guess what? And he said, you're stuck again? I said, yeah. And so he has this big dually truck. He's a, he's a welder. And so he's, he's going to bring his welding rig down there. I said, dude, whatever you do, do not come close to me. We need to get way far away and try to pull me out. He didn't listen because he knew what was going to happen. Pulls right up next to me. And he sinks lower than I do because his truck's like twice as heavy as mine. 
So we call the neighbor. The neighbor has a tractor. The tractor comes over through the woods, you know, and we're like, okay, maybe we're going to get out of this. Caleb's already left a long time ago. He's playing with my, my buddy's son. They're having a great time. They're ha- just having fun. And I'm down there going, oh, this sucks. So we get over there, we get the chain, and we pull with this John Deere tractor, and it does nothing. And the, the wheels start to spin, and the tractor starts to go down, and the neighbor goes, I ain't doing this. So he unhooks it. He leaves. He said, you're on your own. So I said, okay, I know somebody who has a tow truck. So I have to walk three quarters of a mile through the mud, through the woods to get to the highway to wave down this tow truck. Tow truck gets there. He comes out. He parks way away. We, we stretch out all of his cable and he, he hooks onto my buddy's truck first. And as soon as the winch goes, here's, here's the tow truck. Here's the, the truck. The tow truck starts going, going back towards this way because we are stuck. So we had to go find the biggest tree we could find, wrap it with a chain onto the tow truck, and then pray to God of heaven to pull us out. And sure enough, finally it started coming up, and we got him out. We're like, yes, and this is, I don't even know, it's two to three hours later. I was already supposed to have Caleb home. It's past bedtime, you know, all of that stuff. And then, then the dude hooks onto my truck, and, and I, I guess he was ticked because he didn't even, he unloosens from the tree, just takes off running with the tow truck, boom, pulls my truck. I'm bouncing backwards through the thing, and I'm like, stop. I think he was just having fun at that point. We were stuck. Man, we were stuck. Well, I tell you that story to say, Some of you are way stuck in your relationship with Christ. You've been doing the same thing over and over, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You are no further along today than you were 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago because you're doing exactly the same thing you did back then. And if you want the same results, just keep on doing that. But if you want different results, maybe you should try something different this year. Verse 4, nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. Whatever God calls you to do, whenever God calls you to do something, the size of the obstacles do not matter. You know the only thing that matters? It's the size of your God. Next verse. When Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, May God bless it! May God bless it! Before the first bit of construction begins, God already sees the completed project. Before you begin what God has called you to do, God already sees what can happen if, if, here's a big if, if you surrender to the power of His Spirit. Verse 8, then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. So the initial con, uh, construction goes very, very slowly. And if you read in Ezra and Haggai, you'll see that, that people would come up, and they would look at the thing, and they would start weeping. Oh, the new temple's not as big as the old temple. This is exactly what happened. Solomon's temple was so much better. Ah! Evidently, these people forgot that the size of the temple does not matter. It's the size of the God who visits that temple that matters. If you've looked at your life and you think, man, I've still got so far to go, you're looking at the wrong place. Your focus is in the wrong place. It's not by your power. It's not by your strength. 
Now, here's a VIV, a very important verse. VIV, not VIP, for 2021. Do not despise these what? There it is. Do not despise these what? Small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. God's telling us to be faithful in small things that no one ever sees. And then he'll produce in us the big things that everybody wants to see. And in a world of highlights, you know, on ESPN, we forget that there's a lot of lowlights. Let me ask you this question. Who, who is the greatest NBA basketball player to ever live? He doesn't play right now, so don't you even say that name. Michael Jordan, thank you. Michael Jordan made 7,000 free throws in his career, but did you know he missed 1,400? That means he made 83% of his free throws. Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player ever, was a B student from the free throw line. He made 12,192 shots in the basket during a career. He missed 12,345 shots. That's 49%. He flunked. If we're using the ABCD scale, greatest guy ever to play. Can you imagine the number of free throws he shot that no one ever saw? The number of baskets he shot no one ever saw. Everyone starts small. You remember King David? What was King David's occupation when we first meet him in the scriptures? He's a shepherd. Whenever Samuel came to David's father, Jesse, he said, bring your sons before me. Who's the only son that, that, that Jesse didn't show to Samuel? David. Where was David? Samuel says, are these all your sons? And he goes, oh, well, there's one more, but he's, he's a kid watching the sheep. Nobody else wants to do that. Samuel says, we will not start. I will not leave until I see this young man. So God brings him in. Samuel anoints him as king. If you read David's story, it's years and years and years before he becomes king. He's in obscurity, and he's, he's showing his faithfulness before God. God is training him. When an animal attacks the sheep, from what you know of Scripture or just you know, shepherds in general, what is the shepherd's job if an animal attacks the sheep? Defend the sheep. If an animal or someone steals the sheep, what is the shepherd's job? To go get the sheep. You do whatever you have to do to get the sheep. Now, my question to you is, where were the crowds when David was tending sheep? when he was rescuing sheep, when he was being faithful, when he was singing to the Lord. Where were the crowds? Where were the cameras capturing? Nowhere. God was testing him. And, and if you cannot be faithful in small things, God will not trust you with big things. I'm amazed at how many times people tell me, God has called me to do this. And I'm like, really? Because you don't do jack. I don't think he's called you to be in a ministry where you're up front because you won't do anything behind the scenes. You're too worried about your image. You're too worried about applause of men. That's all you're gonna, ever going to get. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, sweep the floors. Clean the toilets. So that only your heavenly Father sees you. And, and your heavenly Father will bless you when you're a servant. He always blesses people who serve. The Bible says he opposes people who are proud. You've heard the story of, um, of Ruth in the Old Testament, right? Most of you have heard this. Her mother-in-law's name was Naomi. Naomi and her husband and two sons leave Israel because there is a famine in Israel. They go to Moab, a foreign land, and the boys marry Moabite women. Um, the boys marry 
Orpah and Ruth. By the way, Oprah, her mom thought she was naming her Orpah. She misspelled it. I'm, I'm not making that up. She was naming her after the Old Testament character, but she spelled it wrong because, you know, Orpah. Anyway, trivia doesn't matter, Jack. They're living in this foreign land for 10 years when Naomi's husband dies, both of her sons die. Naomi looks at her two daughters-in-law and says, hey, y'all are young, I'm old. You go get you a husband here. I'm going back to Israel. And, and Orpah says, okay, and goes off. We don't know anything else about her. But Naomi, I mean, Ruth says to her, no, wherever you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. So she comes back with her, and she's a foreigner in Israel. That's not a good place to be. And she takes this job, a very difficult job, so that she can support her mother-in-law. And only God and her mother-in-law saw her faithfulness. And at just the right time, God gave Ruth a husband named Boaz. She and Boaz have a child named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has several sons, the youngest of whom becomes the greatest king in Israel's history other than Jesus Christ. His name was David. Small faithfulness that God saw eventually turned out. She's one of five women in the the lineage of Jesus, in the genealogy of Jesus. Do y'all remember what got Daniel in trouble and thrown into the lion's den? What was he doing that got him in trouble? Praying. He was praying three times a day. The Bible says he would go and he would open his windows toward Jerusalem. He would get on his knees and pray. And, and the guys who wanted to get him in trouble, they said, we can find nothing against Daniel except as it relates to his God. So we've got to trap him up when it relates to his God. Do you know why Daniel was praying towards Jerusalem? He had read in Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, 70 years you'll be in captivity. Daniel believed that Jerusalem was going to be restored long before Jerusalem was ever restored. He got on his knees three times a day, prayed toward Jerusalem, believing that God was going to carry out his promises. And God blessed him for it because he was faithful in small things. People say, I want to be a Daniel. I'm like, dude, you don't even read your Bible. I want to do great things for God. You don't even do small things for God. You don't even come to church. You don't get to do great things until you've done small things. We become what we repeatedly do. And, and if you want to change the course of your life, you've got to start small. You've got to start with your habits. So here's, here's the word of God for you today. Do not despise small beginnings. David said this in Psalm 27, 4. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. If your singular concern is to live in the presence of God every day, maybe you could be a man or a woman after God's own heart. David also said in Psalm 121, didn't put this on the screen, he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. How many of you could say that? I mean, when I was a teenager, I was like, oh, dude, again? We just did this a week ago. How many adults are like that? Again? By the way, we wondered how many people were going to show up today. Because used to, used to, it didn't matter. Man, there'd be, there'd be a tornado coming down 155, and it would not matter. People be in here worshiping the Lord. But COVID and Facebook Live, and I have had people say to me, it is just easier to sit in my living room and watch, watch the worship service. It is easier, but is, is, is that faithfulness in small things? Caleb told me that the verse for today on version was, was, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. <laughs> David said one thing, I want to be in the house of the Lord. 
Paul, Paul wrote half of the New Testament. Um, he had a rough past before he's a Christian. He had a rougher past once he's a Christian. Once he was a Christian, he was beaten repeatedly. Um, he was chased by mobs. He was stoned by rocks, not by pot. Um, he was shipwrecked twice. One time he spent a night and day in the deep. Uh, I just, well, in this crowd, I have to say that, right? A disciple was stoned. An apostle was stoned by rocks. It was not a good thing. He didn't feel good. He didn't have the munchies afterwards. He was persecuted repeatedly. He boiled his life down. He said this, one thing, one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is the most successful Christian in the New Testament not named Jesus Christ. He lived a focused life, and you need to know that there's power in focus. When you discover the one thing that God wants you to do, and you, you do that repeatedly for the rest of your life, you'll discover the power of God like you've never known before. But when you miss your one thing, when you miss it, you'll miss the blessings. See, you, you know the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Um, Jesus went to their house a lot. They were good friends. Martha was cooking the dinner, and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha gets mad and says, hey, Jesus, tell, tell Mary to come help me. And Jesus said to her, only one thing is necessary. Ma Mary has it. It will not be taken away from her. Martha missed time with Jesus because she missed her one thing. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, this one thing you lack you need to sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and come follow me. He didn't tell everybody to do that, but he told this guy because his one thing was money. He went away very sad and probably split open the gates of hell when he died. We don't know for sure. But if he didn't ever turn his, his heart over to Jesus, his one thing, he missed it. So, so I want to know, I want you to contemplate what is the one thing you need to focus on in 2021 to look more like Jesus. And if it is spending 1%, 2% of your time in the Word, you need to know this. You need to spend unrushed and unstructured time. I'm just going to tell you, when, uh, when I went down to Caleb and, and uh, Hannah's wedding, Janie and I went down a couple of days early. We were supposed to go on vacation. That got canceled because of COVID. And so we decided to go down a couple of days early. And I was fishing and she was doing her things. And, and then one day she goes, hey, take me on a boat ride. Now, when you, I have a 10-foot flat bottom boat with a 30-pound trolling motor, right? So you, you don't even make a wake. Nobody, nobody, right? So I said, you want to go for a ride? She goes, yeah. I'm not, telling, I'm not lying to you when I say the most fun I had that whole week was riding in a flat-bottom boat with the prettiest girl I know. And, and my wife is not. She's usually the type, she goes, I dare you to do something. And then she laughs while I do something stupid. So I, I hesitate to even say this on, on camera. Um, she goes, hey, that house looks abandoned. I mean, it's this cliff, and it's, it's huge. And she goes, let's go. So we pull into the, the boathouse, and we go walking up. And it's the funniest thing, because she's just having a great time. And she gets to the top, and she goes, there's a house. And you know, she's like, run, run. So we had to run back and get in the boat. And, and I laughed the whole way, because she's like, hurry. She doesn't want to get caught. She doesn't want to do something wrong. And, and I don't think they would have done anything anyway. But here's my point. There was no agenda that day. We got in a little flat-bottom boat, and we rode up and down the Peter and Alice River. Most fun I had all week. Unstructured, unrushed time. And if you want to become like Jesus, you got to have that.
Because if you, if you run into his presence, whether in worship or every day, you'll skim. You'll be like those birds that fly across the water, you know, and get just a little bit of sip, and it's not enough. And you'll end up one year from now stuck in a rut, mad at Jesus because he didn't change you. If you'll spend a little time, here's, here's what I want you to understand. Ephesians 4.14, then we will no longer be infants. Uh, 38 years I've been in ministry. Most churches are filled with spiritual infants. Now, if I were to say to Waylon, stop being four years old, that'd be kind of dumb because Waylon's four years old. I accepted Christ when I was six. I was well into my 20s before I started growing in Christ. So for 18 plus years, I was a spiritual infant because I refused to feed. I got out of college. I thought, you know, if I'm going to be this minister, I better spend some time in God's word. God began to feed me and he's transformed me. If you want to continue being a spiritual infant, your choice. You don't get to lead the church. You don't get to speak into the lives of others. Thatcher said one of the nicest things on that video last week, that painful video. Um, he said, Doug has advice. Dude, I have zero advice. My heavenly father, if I ever say anything that meets a need, it is God in me, not me. So what are you going to do? Continue doing the same things you've done, you'll get the same results. Or say to God, I will spend 1% or 2% of my time so that maybe next year you'll have had 175.2 hours of God building wisdom into your life. And you'll look a little different. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you love us enough to, to show us the way. Help us not to be stupid and waste these lives. So we can make more money. We can make more friends. We can go to a new church. We can find churches all over this place. We cannot make more time. Help us to invest it wisely. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.